0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast, www.fandomanalytics.com, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you doing, Doug?
1: I'm doing great, Mike. It's great to see you. And uh, NBA playoffs are in full swing, quietly. The NFL schedule announcement <laughs> event is coming up. They, they really push that like it's an event. So I had to mention that.
0: They are pushing that hard. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, like we're all going to go to the sports bar and get some drinks and put on our jerseys and watch them announce the schedule. Whoa. I'm sure somebody is, but I'll just see it when it comes out. I think I you
0: asked me about that. You know, if, was, we were talking about... Little- in the past week or two but is there any limits on the nfl i think they've kind of gone too far i, I don't think the nfl <laughs> schedule announcement is
1: yeah uh, i don't know if they've done this yet but the madden cover release is, is also an event well that's a much like, bigger just the, deal the release of the cover, the cover.
0: and the player yeah. ratings right yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, um, Tom Brady now is signed on to join Fox Sports as an analyst post career. So he's,
0: whenever that will be,
1: when, yeah, when he's 82 and stops playing football, he's going to be a great analyst. Though I will say the NFL, they've they've got some good analysts already, much better than college football in my opinion. And Tom Brady is the kind of guy. If you watch, I I brought this up a couple weeks ago, but if you watch his TikToks, you learn. He's a very likable person, well, I, and I, he's going he's gonna to be, ama- be like Tony Romo on steroids, which is basically him on the football field also.
0: Doug, let me ask you a question, because I, I just saw the news that he was going to be the lead analyst. Does that mean he's a studio guy, or he's going to be doing the game of the week as the color guy?
1: <sighs> I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. I would imagine him doing color stuff, but if he's in the studio, he'll be great at that, too. I mean, Shaq and Chuck do the studio, and they make TNT— worth watching.
0: Oh, they've got to like we they've got to be the model going forward for how you put one of those shows together.
1: Like I think we're getting to the point where the commentators might be more valuable than the actual players because <laughs> I was talking to a friend about this this week. I am 10 times more likely like I'll turn on a Pacers versus Pistons game if it's TNT and you've got Shaq and Chuck cutting up and doing their thing. But if it's on ESPN and it's Van Gundy calling the game and Reggie Miller and that whole crowd and it it could be the the Warriors against uh, the Bucks it could be the two best teams in the league and I'm way less likely to tune in. So the commentators they really bring a lot of value and I think Tom Brady I'm sure he'll be paid handsomely but he's he's going to be another great one like Tony Romo.
0: I'm going to flat out agree and I think I'll, I'll add one thing to that and that I think the commentators increasingly are going to be from an era of a kind of a common market, a shared market mm-hmm. where everyone was you know every basketball fan knew Shaq and Barkley yep. dream team and all these and Tom Brady and the players are going to be playing in front of increasingly fragmented audiences. So I think I think you're dead on that we may tend to see bigger celebrities
1: mm-hmm. in the
0: announcing booth than uh, than on the field as strange as that sounds. Um,
1: well and, and there's already For my generation, I'm 26 for those listening, um, John Madden, he was a household name as an announcer. Nobody, it's like his coaching career was like a prequel movie basically in our, because the story we saw was him as this announcer, him as this video game legend. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a backstory too if you want to go back and and rewatch that. Uh, but I I think Tony Romo is having that kind of career. I think sh- there's a lot of people, this younger, like Gen Z generation, they think Shaq is just this big, goofy NBA analyst, this hilarious guy. I have no idea that he was, people were talking about him maybe being the greatest ever at one point. And I, I'm not saying people are going to forget how good of a player Tom Brady is and has been. I'm just saying that from a career standpoint and from a legacy standpoint, it's very possible that Gen Z remembers Tom Brady as this football announcer that called all these classic games just like my generation remembers John Madden and the younger generation remembers Shaq and Charles Barkley.
0: Very true and I think in some ways it's a good introduction for our main discussion today so over the main course over the next two weeks we're going to be talking about NFL fandom in in some depth Um, so we're going to start today by talking about sort of the nature of fandom maybe a Sort of an academic discussion in a way, and then get to some fandom rankings next week and talk about specific, whether really how the rankings turned out and talk about mm-hmm. some specific clubs and where, why they end up. But the stuff you're bringing up, Doug, is, you know, I don't know that how much people think about what drives fandom, but I mean, I can tell you that fandom, everything related to sports fandom, inspires passionate responses. So the, the idea of ranking fan bases is something we started doing. I started doing with Manish Tripathi, another faculty, former faculty at, at Emory. And it was almost a little bit of a lark where we said, hey, let's, you know, kind of a, addressing a bar kind of argument with a bunch of data and statistical models of saying, well, who are actually the best fans in, in different leagues? Okay, so... Mm-hmm if we start there and and again in in some ways it's kind of a well a little bit more backstory on this so we put these rankings out early on and the amount of anger that was inspired was truly it was a lot of fun frankly um you know it might be a little bit scary depending on your tolerance for threats but it was also really kind of amusing the feedback that came in from places like Twitter and from, you know, as a professor, even my emails on the web. So, you know, emails as well. So Doug, I mean, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of too, it, like this is the kind of question I ask in class, you know, Doug, mm-hmm. what is, um, <laughs> what is fandom? You know, what is uh, what is a good fan? What makes one fan better than another fan?
1: What makes one fan better than another fan? I think uh, the blood, sweat, and tears that they've put into the franchise. I think of, as as we all know, I was a member of commitment? the Spike Squad. Commitment is Yeah, commitment. commitment. Okay. Yeah, that was a more concise way of saying it. But as a former member of the Spike Squad, I can say that the people who paint up for Georgia football games and have done that – they take pride in that, but they also, they're, it's like they're, the thing they're most proud of is the worst experiences they had as a fan. So when I, when I talk to my friends who, who did that in college, they'll say, man, this championship was especially sweet for me because I remember standing in the pouring rain for four hours, freezing cold, without my shirt on, with paint all over my body, all day to watch Georgia get beat by 30 points at home against Alabama with college game day there. It was humiliating. I got sick for three weeks after the game, and I endured that. So that makes it so much sweeter for me now. It's a little badge of honor that fans have. And I think... Okay, I, let, and, let, let's sort of stay ahead.
0: there for a second. So okay, you've mentioned words like suffering and yes. enduring. Yes. So that is... Why does that... Why does that matter for fandom?
1: I think it's a sense of belonging, a sense of like, I've experienced the same things as this team. I am part of this.
0: Okay. You've paid a price.
1: I've paid a price. I've, I've paid more than the price of admission. I've, it, that's why I said blood, sweat, and tears. Like, it, I am emotionally invested, and this means something to me. It's personal. Because this is part of who I am.
0: Okay, so you can't be as connected unless you've actually you know blood, exactly. sweat, and tears, and that's, suffered, and that's the, the dirt. Like,
1: I and getting back to my friends that, that painted up in college, they'll say things like, Man, I kind of feel sorry for the people who just became Georgia fans in the last two years because they don't get to experience how awesome this is because they haven't been there. They haven't been through the lows and the highs just feel so much better when you've been through the lows. That's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about.
0: Okay. And I think, you know, there's going to be a multidimensional thing. So really being committed, willing to endure the defeats standing Mm -hmm. in the rain. I assume the story would always be, there was raining like at Mississippi state and Starkville on the road. Mm -hmm. Something, something (laughs) tough. Now you also mentioned that, uh, the Spike Squad, well, wh- what does the Spike Squad do? How do you guys, wh- what do you do to prepare for the game? How do you go to the games?
1: So oh, we'll go back to that Alabama game from way back when that everyone always talks about. College game days that day, the Spike Squad, at least at the time, and it's very different now. It's a different group of people. I don't really know any of them, so I don't know how they operate now. But at least back then, seats were not reserved. for. We had to get the front row every week. And for some reason, other people wanted the front row. I've never gotten that because in college football, sitting on the front row is not the best view. It's not a concert. I like sitting halfway up in the student section when I'm not painted up. Uh, But people would always fight for the front row. So we'd have to get to the game first. We'd have to get there in the morning. If it was a 3.30 game, we'd be there at 8 a.m., waiting in line, holding spots. And then you paint your body. You start painting your body. You get into the stadium two and a half hours before kickoff. And you're just hanging out, taking pictures with fans, watching warm ups, trying to to lead the charge as far as the fan enthusiasm at the game and, and trying to help generate an atmosphere that helps the team in your mind, of course. That's really the kind of pre game experience. Of course, painting your full body for me it was I would spend an hour painting my face because I had such a a detailed character and most people's maybe weren't that involved, but that was just how I did it. But it was like, I would, I, and we would always say, do it for the dogs, do it for the dogs. Like, that's why we do it. So it's like, I'm making these sacrifices for my team because I'm part of this and this means something to me.
0: So there are different levels of fans. There are fans that are just sitting there, <laughs> and there are fans that are helping the team. Well, I mean, yeah, I, and, and, this, look, I mean and this is where it get, starts to sound crazy, right? And I don't mean to put you yeah. on the spot. Yeah, yeah. A Spike Squad member is closer to being part of a, the team. Than someone sitting in expensive seats that are barely standing up during the game.
1: Yeah, if if you're listening and you know me, just know that I'm like I'm kind of playing along here to to make a <laughs> point. But I mean, there is there is that sense amongst the group, and I remember like the the fraternities, for example, at, at Georgia. They of course they tailgate before the game. It's it's it, college football for a lot of people in college these days, especially. Is more about the social event, the social aspect of it. So there's a lot of people that come to the game late, and they sit in the upper student section or in the end zone student section because they've been enjoying their day so much, and it's not all about football to them. And there were some people in the main student section that that really irked. They hated that the Greeks got there late because they're like, this doesn't mean anything to them. They're, you know, we we should have a full stadium. It's not as loud without everyone taking part in this and so there was this kind of sense of superiority that that some people had i'm not one of those people to those that maybe prioritize the social pre-game events over the actual football game
0: okay do you um go to a lot of games you how many games do you go to in georgia
1: What generally, or when I was when you were students, every game, every game. My my senior year, I went to every game, okay, like home and away.
0: So, and how did the team vary over the years in terms of one loss record while you were there?
1: Pretty uh, significantly. They, I think, first year they started the season and they were, I think they were in the top four, and people were talking playoff. Then they had a ton of injuries and lost a bunch of games, and then. After the second season I was in school, the head coach was fired. Third season was Kirby Smart's first year, which was felt like a train wreck at the time. It felt like the program just completely fell apart. And then the next year they make the national championship. So so it, I mean it was a roller coaster. So
0: you went from about a I don't know, a seven or eight win that yeah. season to yes. a near national championship. Did you miss right. a game? You didn't miss a game, right?
1: Not that senior year, no. I mean the other. I missed some away games. Okay, some my, away games. Okay, uh, uh, during my student time, but no, no home games.
0: Okay, now when you are not, uh, when you are not dressed as the spike squad members, <laughs> frequently wear UGA colors, letting people know your affiliation.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say in college that was most guys' closet only had three colors and it was red, black, and white with red and black on it. Um, Those were pretty much the only colors that existed. So everyone kind of knew who you were and and where you were from and what you were about. And honestly, the cool part of that is now, even when I travel, I try to normally wear, like if I'm going on a flight through an airport and I'm going to be traveling for a full day, I'll wear a Georgia shirt just because... It's my only way of connecting with people yeah. because I'll have three or four people throughout a day. If I'm traveling across the country and have to, you know, have a have a layover or whatnot, I will have several conversations where someone will say, "Hey, go dogs," and say, "Hey," and you know, like, "Oh, well, did you, you graduate?" and you and you have this whole conversation. You connect they, with somebody? Do they bark at you too? <laughs> no. No. no, no. Apparently, people do that at opposing fans. I've I've seen some crazy. I you know I, I have seen that happen before. I don't think. I I think people like to act like that's um, hey, what look, every fan does, but it's I mean it's, it's kind of a beautiful a beautiful expression of fandom of like this is how crazy people get when humans start dark barking like they're dogs. Well to show dominance or something. I don't know. But
0: that public identification, you know, you're you're wearing this uniform, right? And people that are also Georgia affiliated, they see it, they'll say go dogs pretty frequently, like every airport.
1: Yeah. 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 Every airport. Every airport. As an Illini
0: guy, I mean, I might not even think about it. I might have an Illini t shirt on and someone will yell ILL, right? And our response is supposed to be INI. You know, I spent time. The worst
1: is when they don't say it back. I'll say my brother went to Virginia. (laughs) My brother went to Virginia. And I'm used to Georgia culture where every time you see someone, you say, go dogs. And they say, go (laughs) dogs. And my brother went to Virginia. And they're the, the Wahoos, even though they're technically the Cavaliers. They call themselves the Wahoos. And they say Wahoo Wah. So I'll be on a walk at the park and I'll see a guy. He's got a UVA hat on or a UVA t-shirt. And I'll say, oh, Wahoo Wah. Just to, just to kind of connect. And the person will just look at you like you're, like you're speaking in tongues or something. Which, I mean, granted, you might be saying Wahoo Wah. It's kind of a strange word. But I, I assume, oh, okay, this person maybe didn't go there. Or the, the culture is just not the same where it's or, all about sports. Or...
0: They may have just gone to law school there and
1: not care. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So I have noticed that it's not like that everywhere, but obviously going to Georgia and even growing up in Alabama and seeing like Alabama and Auburn are the same way, like those big football schools, that's kind of the culture. Okay,
0: last one then, sort of last question before we sort of get off this kind of background stuff. When the Bulldogs win, does it feel like Doug has won? And when the (laughs) Bulldogs lose, does it feel like Doug has lost
1: doug <laughs> emotionally yes emotionally now i i will say this like i'm level-headed enough to know objectively that okay, that's not the i case. don't
0: want to interrupt you too much but that's the beauty <laughs> of all this right intellectually yeah. we know fandom we don't there's no look you don't affect george's performance on the field yeah, you're not and winning it's a, and losing, but that's not always, what I'm about here, right? It's
1: funny to me, and I and will I'll say this. You're a little bit more sober to this. I'm a little bit more sober to this when my team loses. If Georgia... Like, I went to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Georgia loses to Alabama for the one billionth time in my life. And every Alabama fan comes up to me. walk, You know, I'm taking the MARTA back or whatever. And they're saying, we own you. We... <laughs> You know, Roll Tide. Uh, We just beat the blink out of you. We we're champions. You guys are. You guys are. Wish you were us. And and you're sitting there like, you realize, you you don't own me. You didn't win a championship. Yeah, a a group of eighteen year old boys. You didn't make a tackle. (laughs) A group of eighteen year old boys went out and played a football game, and the group that you were watching and wanting to win beat the group that I wanted to win, but then, of course, when the national championship rolls around and my team wins the champions, it's not wow, a group of eighteen year old boys won a game it's we are the champions we're playing we are the champions we're celebrating like it's the greatest accomplishment in my life. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. That is the the beautiful thing of fandom and, and what you will see um, across sports is that for whatever reason it creates the illusion that you have accomplished something when your team does something. And I think a lot of people take that on the when their team loses, too. I really don't. But um, I think a lot of people feel the pain. I, I, think, I, I won't say that I don't feel the pain, but yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like a failure or something if, if my team comes up short. I, I'm, I'm able to be sober then. I'm not sober. Of course, speaking metaphorically, <laughs> when, Georgia, when Georgia wins a national championship, I feel like we are the champions. We did it
0: yeah, I, look, it's a funny conversation. I mean, but throughout this conversation, I think we've we've hit on kind of the key aspects that drive fandom, uh, commitment, right? Something about you know, hierarchy. you're they're truly committed, the involved fans, the ones that are fan- painting up better than the casual yeah. fans that are just showing up when they're on a winning run. Yeah, uh, the importance of community in terms of we label each other as fans. You see someone in a Georgia t-shirt, it's almost like you're 80% on the way to having a new friend in an airport, right? Mm -hmm. And even this element of identity that, again, when you talk about it intellectually, it's a hard thing to catch your head around that these 20-year-old kids playing in Champaign-Urbana, I feel like I'm part of the team, but I know I'm not, right? Right, right. And so fandom ends up being this thing and always get these questions of why as a professor are you worried about something as silly as sports fans. And I will always come back that it's, it's an incredibly important thing. It's something mm-hmm. that's important to the individual in terms of how they think about themselves, how they go through life. But also it's about having passion for parts of the parts of the culture. You got mm-hmm. clear passion for the University of Georgia. Doug, you got passion for other things, Star Wars, right? Yeah. The Mandalorian, yeah. right? <laughs> this is... You know, it's entertainment and it's sports, but this is the stuff that
1: matters. Can I add something? Yeah. I will say this in regards to sports. Uh, one thing that's different, and you and I have recently have talked a lot about how segmented audiences have become for different sports, but also in, for entertainment properties. It's not like we all share love for Star Wars or everyone in the state of Georgia shares a love for Star Wars. It seems as though when I'm in Georgia... I can make conversation with any adult male, any adult male, and we can connect instantly over Georgia football, just about. I mean, I know there's there's some some one-off Alabama and Georgia Tech fans or whatever, but for the majority, it, it is the only thing I can think of that I can talk to almost anybody that's an adult male about and connect with immediately. And it's like, I can't do that with Star. I can't do that with me. I can't say, hey, did you hear the new uh, Post Malone album? to to some random adult um, on a Monday, but you can pretty much assume that everyone's seen the game. And so to me, sports fandom, it's like one area in society where at least within like a state or within a city, communities uh, as such, there is a general connection between the people. And you you can't even do that. There are other shared things within communities such as politics, but I, I don't bring up, I don't say, hey, what'd you think about the debate? What'd you think about, you know, that's a... That's a dangerous conversation to have. You never know when you're going to make an enemy doing that. With college football in the South, at least, um, and, and other places, their sports. I'm sure if you're in Boston, you could say that about the Celtics or the Red Sox. Uh, you, you, it's the one thing that connects the community.
0: Well, and maybe that's something that's fading, right? Because uh, you, yeah. know, you mentioned you're 26, I'm 54, and I think of just how how much it's faded over the course of my lifetime in the direction where it seems to be going. Because, you know, back in the day, you could almost, com- you know, connect instantly over Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Or, or how about yeah. another one? Almost everyone had an opinion about Wayne Gretzky, mm-hmm. okay? Now, and I, you know, cherry-picking this sport, do you and I want to talk about the best hockey player out there? <laughs> right?
1: No. <laughs> No, and and even with basketball, and Nikola Jokic just won his second MVP. That's not a guy I can talk to many people about. That's not a Michael Jordan.
0: Well, you know, uh Shaitani, uh, you know, and maybe I'm mispronouncing that, the uh the the you know, the two way baseball player or, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Trout. I don't know that there are baseball players that are household names anymore. Right. So there's definitely something Something occurring. And I, and I look, I think you're right that sports fandom has always been that unifier. Maybe it's something that's fading. So, again, I think it's an important, important topic.
1: Yeah. And I'll say this your, your generational fandom report, uh, which is on the Fanalytics website for those interested, I think hits it on the head, hits the nail on the head as far as identifying what's going on generationally. Because when I say I can connect with any adult male about Georgia football, I actually am more of course that's a oversimplification I'm more likely to connect with guys your age talking about <laughs> Georgia football if I mean if I'm yeah. doing it you know in certain settings when I was in college I would say at least half of my guy friends could care less about Georgia football at the University of Georgia I was shocked by that I did not expect that I grew up my whole life in Alabama I thought man once I go to Georgia I'm going to connect with everyone over the thing I'm really passionate about and as as it turns out Within my the younger demographics, um, it's not as universal, no, it's not as universal, but anyone your age and up pretty much is it's almost a guarantee that college football at least in, in that region is gonna be an easy easy conversation starter.
0: a little bit of a look ahead, so we're gonna spend most of this month talking NFL uh, both today, sort of the background next week getting into the measurement of the fan bases and then we've got a little bit of a look ahead stuff related to a new quarterback metric but following that in reference to something doug brought up the generational fandom survey we've got the data back from the 2022 version so that will be our, sort of our main point of emphasis going through going through june mm-hmm. it's always it's one of my favorite things that i've been involved in the last couple of years because you know it's doug saying, the world is changing. Uh, fandom across generations is very different. Fandom across the genders, fandoms across the races, political affiliation. It's something that uh, it's something we'll talk a lot about. Okay, now, Doug, back to sort of moving forward. We kind of got the basics of the psychology of fans out there. Commitment, mm-hmm. community, identity. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about this in terms of data, what do you think key metrics are that you might want to look at in terms of how good a fan base is? And tell me if you need me to clarify that. Because again, I think these conversations uh, yeah. are sort of funny because it's nothing we think about. Right? How, yeah, do you, well, there, there, how do you two, measure a fan base?
1: To me, there's there's kind of two different angles. The one is you want to see how big it is, like which is just kind of a general... How, who has the biggest fan base? Who has the most fans? But on the flip side... How do you measure how intense like per capita fandom is, you know what I mean? Like for of course the small market teams are going to have less fans than the big market teams, but their fans might be 10 times more passionate. They might they might buy more jerseys or they might go to more actual in-person games or they okay. might tweet more about well, the team. So let's
0: stay there. So what are the measures of because you're you're dead on, right? New York has 20 million people. Milwaukee has 1.5 million. Hell, Green Bay, I think, has 300,000 people in the metro area. <laughs> so, you, again, right, it, this is what get, where this stuff gets interesting, right? There right. are probably more Green Bay Packer fans than there are New York Jets fans, but it shouldn't yeah. be that way. Yeah. But to the side but, of the intensity of the passion, what are the things you would look at? Attendance would be an obvious one, right? Uh,
1: yeah, attendance. I mean, some of the things I mentioned were – Things like ticket sales and, and I, I think money spent. I think ticket price is a good one. And the reason I say that is because as someone who's who was in school when, when Georgia really rose to where it is now in college football, we as a fan base would drive ticket prices so high that it would be all Georgia fans at away games, such as the infamous Notre Dame game uh, in 2017 but the national championship that year against Alabama was the high. I think Georgia had the highest priced sporting event ticket for, or at least college football ticket for like a couple years straight because the supply couldn't meet the demand. The demand was so high and people were willing to spend more to go to the game. So it was like, even this year with the national championship um, and the SEC championship, there was kind of this unspoken rule amongst the fan base of like, let's help our team win. By spending more money than Alabama, so and spending so much on tickets that they pretty much have to sell them to us, and then we'll have most of the stadium, and it will help us win. So there's a kind of like I feel like ticket price is is kind of a underrated metric there, uh, more so than just the number of tickets sold.
0: Oh, look, it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, this comes from my background as more as a marketer. People willing to pay high prices, yes, is a great sign of intense loyalty right that it's like i'm you know it's like I, the example i will always use in in class is frankly i'll put i have a i have a slide for class where i put up a picture of dr pepper and a picture of dr thunder you know what dr thunder is
1: <laughs> i'm aware yes
0: okay so dr thunder <laughs> is the walmart version of
1: <laughs>
0: the, the dr pepper brand and then the question becomes well how much are you willing to how much is someone willing to pay for a nice cold can of dr pepper and i mean what it is probably about twice as much and and yeah. the, and it, it's kind of a funny thing right because if you think about it is really the cost structure that different is the quality of the brown sugary water in the doctor in the doctor thunder can is it all that different from the dr pepper maybe the flavor is a little bit different but that might be kind of kind of just taste
1: yeah yeah you see that with everything Every kind of consumer product, I feel like there's there's that same, and that's where I mean, it goes without saying, but all of this all of if you're listening all this stuff Mike's doing with sports phantom, it's very applicable to marketing and in business as a whole. I mean, I think that you could easily use this stuff as a case study to make points academically and 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 the business world and so getting back to fandom and, and some of those metrics i was looking at i think social media following at this point and engagement um, not just following but people who are truly engaging with the brand on social media is another measurement that uh, is probably i would imagine you probably use some of that in in your fandom study
0: okay so just based on the conversation i'm hearing things like attendance which i'm going to translate to showing up yeah right and, that you're willing to get out of your bed on Saturday morning in Athens and stumble over to the stadium. (laughs) Uh, Willing to pay prices, right? Putting Mm -hmm. your money where your loyalty is. Uh, Now, you didn't mention it directly. You're still talking about the prices. Willingness to travel is a good one, right?
1: Travel. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. And and I think that goes hand in hand with the prices when you're talking about away games and things of, of that nature. But you could look at, I would love to see the average ticket price across the 12 game season for home and away games for each team because the you would see that the what like for Georgia for example that year when I was a senior the prices for away games were through the roof even if the other team was horrible because so many Georgia people were wanting to go see them play. I mean you would have you would have a Georgia Vanderbilt game with $200 tickets. Vanderbilt season tickets cost less than that.
0: Well, and and look, I don't want to totally you know, pat you on, I don't want to totally embrace your Georgia fandom because as an Illinois fan, you know, it's just not what I want to do, right? I don't want to to celebrate another nation. But, you know, when the Georgia fans did roll up to Notre Dame and turn that stadium from, you know, the the gold and the green or whatever Notre Dame was wearing at the moment to (laughs) being a lot of red and black. A lot of red. That was really a dramatic moment for someone that studies fandom, right? Because that was saying, you know, this alleged top brand in all of college football might be yesterday's top brand and look at what these people have done flying into o'hare flying into indianapolis taking Bradley up every hotel room in northern indiana and changing the color of that stadium and paying big money to do it probably in terms of per tickets
1: yeah a lot I, of power there i think that uh that particular instance with georgia i think it was reflective of Georgia's fan base and and where they were at at the time in 2017. If you look at Notre Dame, they've had that happen a few times. Uh, It's always a red team. I think the most recent one, I think Cincinnati more or less took over their stadium for a game prior to that. I'm I'm trying to think if it was Nebraska years back took over Notre Dame stadium for where they had at least half the fans in the stadium. So, I think that's it's pretty telling about Notre Dame as a brand and and it has this aura about it where we think of it as this great fan base but like you said like maybe that's maybe that's because of the movies and maybe that's because yesterday because I don't know my grandparents generation they were the top team in football uh, look, I don't know I,
0: I suspect that there is something that again you know the wor- the world changes over time and a lot of Notre Dame's fan base was Irish, Irish and Polish Catholics on the south yeah. side of Chicago. It's relatively close to Notre Dame. And I think a lot of those communities have kind of, you know, dissipated. The the kids didn't stay in Cicero and the other South Side yeah. communities. They've they've moved on, and Notre Dame isn't what it was. Okay, so so we've got some good measures of marketing power or mm-hmm. consumer passion and like you every time i do this i always hear you know that i need other things in here like um you know one that will always come up and we'll talk about this next week is the chiefs are the loudest fans in the world right mm-hmm. and so the the stadium noise has to be fan, factored into this <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm usually like you know and in terms of like some of the spike squad stuff you should count the number of people that paint their faces paint up, at each game. Paint company. their entire body, yeah.
1: Yeah, Georgia fans were always proud of... We had, like, four different paint groups. Like, it wasn't just the Spike Squad. There was, there were several others. <laughs> there was a little, like, weird rivalry, unspoken rivalry between them because everybody kind of wanted to be the... Which is silly, but but I understand. Like, not to make it all about Georgia, but just because that's what I know to draw from. There was a sense when we would go to away games... If they had, they would only have one, like at Auburn, they only had one paint line. Like, oh, we're a better fan base than that. We have like three or four groups of students. They only have one group of students and they don't paint their whole chest. They just paint the letters. They're not. So, so fans are very particular about the things that make them better than the next fan base. And I think uh, Auburn fans on the flip side would go to a Georgia game and say, they don't do. Our whole student section has these chants that we all do. We follow the mic man and we do them throughout the game. And they don't do any of that. They don't. This is lame. This this is a terrible fan base.
0: You know, Doug. I've. This is completely an aside. (laughs) At one point, I should. You know, if Illinois ever does go on an NCAA run. I would be willing if I had you to help me with the process to paint my paint. head
1: orange. That I would love to help with me. a big
0: blue eye on it.
1: Okay. You I think you're you have the perfect head for I, it. I do. My head. There's a lot of. Uh, it's just a canvas.
0: My head is like a helmet, right? I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's perfectly shaped. I could for see face you. And
1: I could see in Sports Illustrated just flipping, and there's just this massive picture of you with holding a <laughs> foam finger and number one on both hands. Uh, okay, painted painted orange head. you could paint your head like a basketball
0: exactly <laughs> okay, so what I try and do in these rankings, and you mentioned something about the size of the fan base as well, and we'll get to that in a second, is really kind of try and analytically get at this level of passion. so mm-hmm. it is things like willingness to pay, these measures of kind of loyalty, because this idea of like the size of the fan base well, let me put it this way. The other part of this is, so the basic goal here is to build a statistical or an economic model of some of the things we've talked about, road attendance, prices paid, revenues, etc., mm-hmm. and then see how different teams compare. But the comparison can be really tricky. And one of the things you mentioned was the size of the fan bases. That's something that's a little bit of a, of a challenge so as a non nfl example so we'll talk a lot about nfl next week is it fair to compare the fan base for the los angeles lakers versus the memphis grizzlies
1: um i mean i think you have to for these things but but i
0: mean is it is it is there something is there a built-in bias like if you're just looking at if you're just looking at these numbers who's always going to win the lakers the lakers are always going to win the knicks are always going to win. So if we're really trying to isolate this, this sort of this imperial quality of the best fans, we've got to control for some things.
1: Yeah. So the size of the
0: control. market is, is for number one on that
1: list. And it's also one of the tricky things is, I would imagine, is, is figuring out how many of these people are fans that follow the team, that, that know the names of the players, and how many of these people just go to the games because it's a fun thing to do. Like in some cities, like in Atlanta, I feel like Atlanta is a good sports town in the sense of the people that go to Braves games for the most part follow the team and they know the players and they know. And I've been to other cities where there are championships and there are, like you mentioned the Lakers earlier, I know different switching sports, but I feel like most people I know that, have been to Lakers games, it's like something they do while they're in LA. It's like a tourist attraction. It's not like they keep up with the team and free agency and the trades. I'm not saying that all Lakers fans are that way. I'm just saying a lot of people that would probably technically constitute as fans when their numbers are so much bigger than the Memphis Grizzlies probably aren't nearly as invested as as a larger percentage of that, that Grizzlies fan base.
0: Yeah, it, and you get it. One of the limitations of what's going on in this analysis because you're dead on the equivalent to the well the equivalent to the lakers and the nfl is going to be what team
1: the cowboys
0: it's going to be the cowboys right <laughs> and, and there's always going to be this pushback of these are fans that just really like to wear the uniform they like to wear the shirt
1: or like for the longest time with dallas i would say half the people there are just going because they want to see the stadium Yeah, they're just interested. They're they're in town for they're visiting Dallas, and their kid has graduation at SMU, and they're like, oh, let's go to a Cowboys game and check out the the Jerry Dome. They're just
0: going for the show, kind of. Yeah,
1: they're they're it's like going to a movie or something. They're I don't know. It's to me that's a lot different than the Buffalo Bills fan who's got icicles hanging out of his nostrils. And I think I think <laughs> every, that's a fair weekend point. And but it's
0: a, and that's where you know I can only take you can only take the analysis so far, right? Yeah. If the Lakers fans are willing to show up and they show up every time and they pay big money, then yeah. the fact that they're not the fact that they're not they don't know the the eleventh guy on the bench and they don't know <laughs> the assistant coach, yeah, it's, it's kind of a a limitation to all this. Yeah. The other thing that makes a challenge in and all this stuff though is, and one of the things I actually like, and I don't want to make it all about Georgia either, but one of the things I like about the Georgia fan base is it's it seems so committed to me that even when, the and this is largely true of a lot of SEC football, that even when the teams lose, the fans still tend to show up. Right? Yeah. And, and so at- this thing of controlling for this enduring quality, right, of... You know, is the stadium empty when they lose versus when they show up? Because I got news for you, Doug. Across professional sports, with very few exceptions, if a team's going to the NBA championship, if they're going to the Stanley Cup or the the Super Bowl, guess what? Those stadiums will be
1: full. <laughs> I think the exceptions I can think of are, I remember like the New Jersey Nets made the finals a couple years and apparently they, I pulled for the Nets from Birmingham, Alabama. That was my team growing up. But I learned that apparently they didn't have a very good fan base, which is partially why they moved to Brooklyn. But apparently they were in the finals and, and struggling to to fill up the arena. And uh, I think the Los Angeles Rams this last year, I was, I was hearing stuff in the playoffs about there being more 49ers fans in, in a playoff game in Los Angeles between San Francisco and Los Angeles to make the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I still think... I guess fans show up, but sometimes it might be more opposing fans than you would want with with fan bases like a relocated team like like the Rams, of course. but I mean, I, I think you're right there's There's only so much you can you can do, and the bottom line is if, if people are showing up, it's indicative of an overall enthusiasm, even if all those people maybe aren't the most passionate fans.
0: Okay, so to sort of put a bow on this, and so in a little bit of recapping of the conversation. Where we started was a discussion about the psychology of fandom, right? And these issues of identity, community, commitment. That gets us to this question of, well, how do those things come out? And that's Mm -hmm. where we get into the metrics about fan passion. Things like, are they willing to pay high prices? Are they willing to actually take the time out, show up, and attend games? Are they willing to travel? So these behavioral measures. And then the last thing we touched on briefly you know, gets at the idea of why we actually do statistics on these things, why we do something beyond just basically presenting. Little. Here's the number of Facebook followers for this team. Here's yeah. the ticket price for this team where we say we've got to control for the fact that New York has 20 million people. Los Angeles or San Francisco has a really high median income. Right. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are really good this year. Maybe they're not so good in the past. We've got a control for a lot of things. So Mm -hmm. we bring in a lot of, we take some theory that gets us to some things we want to measure. We build a statistical model, an economic model, and we've got these statistical controls so we can get at some type of a, (laughs) and again, I I laugh as I say this, so we can get at some type of analytical or statistical based analysis of fandom. And -hmm. then the way these things work, Doug. Just so you know, I mean, you've been around this for a couple of years now, publish the ratings, and then depending on how widely these go out, the hate then quickly comes in. And I do say it's hate, the hate comes in because you know what? There are very few complimentary emails saying, hey, thanks for ranking us number four. That doesn't (laughs) happen.
1: I think that was a valid ranking of putting us at 28.
0: Yeah. It, well, what's great about it, right, is the team that and you can almost imagine this is kind of pure, the greatness of fan psychology. The team that ranks number 1, what do they think?
1: Great. Fantastic. Okay, There's but not
0: even greater fantastic. Truth.
1: Truth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we found this is this is um objective truth right here. Yeah. We found and it was yeah. so
0: obvious. You didn't why did you even have to do the analysis, right? Yeah. <laughs> and every other fan base is unhappy.
1: Yeah, I, I will say the only, um, I mean, obviously I've seen in this role that kind of feedback. The only times I've seen a positive reaction from a fan base to a like number 50 out of 100 rating was that there will be called, this is coming from someone that's from the state of Alabama. On Facebook, someone will share an article and it will be the top state schools in the country and Alabama will be ranked. I don't know. They'll be ranked 52nd. And Auburn will be ranked 48th. And Auburn fans are posting it all over Twitter. And it's the same thing. This is, hey, they did a study. This is the truth. And um, and then Bama fans are dismissing it and saying, well, they're not taking into account all this. It's the same thing, but it's, it's pretty hilarious to watch.
0: You're 100% right. That's exactly anytime, how these things go.
1: Anytime Georgia gets ranked in the top 10, public university ranking that they do. I will see it all over my LinkedIn feed. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> and, and and it's evidence that this is truly the greatest university.
0: Hey, I'm, ju- I'm just laughing because I went to the University of Chicago for my MBA and the era where I went to the University of Chicago, those people were completely appalled that they were losing to Northwestern Kellogg in the uh, Business Week MBA rankings now i work at emory university and every time they come out with one of these new rankings one of the things people i think look at very quickly is to make sure that emory is still ahead of georgia tech in those rankings (laughs) so these kind of bragging rights and and again the beauty of fandom and all this stuff yes okay so doug next week we're going to go through the we're going to go through the rankings um we we can talk about it. My thought is we start from the bottom and work our way up with a few notes about each fan base. Sound good?
1: I think that sounds great, and I'm looking forward to that one. There's I've seen the list, and uh, there are some that I already have questions as to how this team ended up this low, or how this team is so high when it seems like there's no way. So I, I'm looking forward to hearing all about your process, how this came to be, and how uh, how confident you are in your own your
0: and you own know rankings. what I am completely looking forward to the abuse as well so you can bring <laughs> as much of that as you want okay awesome. everyone thanks for listening and we'll come back next week with the rankings and we'll have the full rankings and a whole package on the www.fandomanalytics.com webpage